Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Malcast episode number 22. Thank you so much for joining us on this Memorial Day evening. Patrick, I believe you want to uh, say a couple things? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I just want to point out to everyone that Memorial Day is a day of remembrance and a day of thinking about all of the sacrifices that our troops have made, whether or not you've always agreed with their, the decisions of the higher-ups, these troops you know, have sacrificed a lot so that we could be here today and enjoy the decadence that we are enjoying uh, you know, when we're eating 18 different forms of meat on a grill. So it's not just a long weekend, it is a weekend of remembrance, a weekend of solemnity, and a weekend to appreciate what others in history have done so that you can enjoy the fruits of their labor. Yes, thank you, Patrick. And everyone here at Nightmount Media wants to say thank you to our troops, those who made it home, and especially those who didn't. Yes. So, well, I, there's a saying, There's a saying. Uh, you know, not to belabor this point too much, but there's a saying that Veterans Day is for, uh, for soldiers who've made it out of their uniform. Uh, military Day is for those soldiers who are still in their uniform. And Memorial Day is for the soldiers who never made it out of their uniform. So, yes. Anyway, moving on. So, uh, with that being said, um, tonight we have Jessica Redmond back on from a couple weeks ago. Thank you for joining us, Jess. Um, <laughs> today we're going to be talking about uh, some communications related topics, namely the state of the national media. It's media week. We'll be talking about local media on Friday. So tonight's national media. So before we yeah. get started, um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or gripes, make sure to put them in the chat, both Twitch and YouTube. And, uh, we will, we'll hit them throughout and make sure we'll hit every single one of them before we, uh, end tonight's episode. So. Without any further ado, Patrick, go ahead and kick us off. Yeah, I'm. So, I apologize, to everyone. You guys just saw my one of my cats just walk by, and I've got the other cat here. Uh, I do have a little bit of a zoo going on, so in the background, if you see them fighting or meowing, that's that is what's going on. Uh, they are all healthy and not being mistreated in any such way. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> I would like to uh, kick the, kick it off to Jessica, my wife, uh, who is a. Uh, former journalist who has several years of experience in this field and I think is a great expert to bring on today. Uh, Jessica, would you like to talk about your experience in <laughs> all of its forms? Yeah, I'm not from qualified as an expert, but I do have experience. Um, I went to- You have a degree, say, don't you? <laughs> I do, I do have I a bachelor's- <laughs> I have a bachelor's degree in multimedia journalism. Um, so I went through four years of college learning about it. And then also while I was in college, I had various internships. Um, I worked for the um, Northwest Iowa Review and Sheldon Mail Sun um, in Northwest Iowa. My local newspaper, I so I worked for a newspaper before. I've also worked for KTIV News out of Sioux City, Iowa. Um, I worked as a reporter there as well. I've also tried documentary making. So I've kind of explored all the different aspects of media um, and have like real world experience within the field. Um, so that's where my so-called expertise is coming from here. As real-world experience, though. <laughs> that is the definition of real-world experience. You've worked for various media corporations in a, in a variety of capacities. Yeah, and, and I also was uh, the editor-in-chief yeah, and also uh, writer for the St. Ambrose newspaper, The Buzz. Um, so I was the editor for about two years and also was a writer all throughout college. So I have a little bit of um, experience in all different aspects and also all different positions within the media as well. And I worked for the... Uh, St. Ambrose TV station as well. So, mm -hmm. 
And I, I do want to ask, I want to prod a little bit, because I know the answer to all of these questions, because I actually was a political columnist for Jessica while she was the chief, which is where I get the nickname, just calling her chief all the time. Uh, I apparently am also one of her most consistent uh, writers, which is always good to hear. And obviously the best, you know, that's only what he tells yeah, okay. <laughs> So uh, I believe you described me as all right. But, you know, anyway. Uh, that's, that's only fair after last Monday. Yeah, that's only really fair. <laughs> But I do want to ask you, what was your experience working with uh, students? And this is not necessarily a representation of St. Ambrose as a university or St. Ambrose uh, journalism students, generally speaking, but more so, how was your relationship with your writers and how cooperative, let's say, to use a very diplomatic word, do you think that they were with working with you as the editor-in-chief? Yeah, well, um, I will say in general, working for a college newspaper is quite different than working at an actual newspaper. First of all, your um, since we were a private college, everything we talked about had to be within the realm of St. Ambrose. So we were kind of limited on what we could talk about. Um, we're also a Catholic school, so we couldn't get too controversial with our topics. So that, that was one thing is that it was often a hard time for my writers to find stories um, that weren't just a list of an itinerary of what St. Ambrose was gonna do the next week. So, that was one thing that's very different about college writing, and I did struggle with, you know, finding these topics that you can actually dig into a little bit and actually get a feel for what it's like to be in real-world journalism. Um, and the other thing is, uh, as a college student, and I'm sure I was this way as a freshman as well, but you're very shy, uh, so it was difficult to get writers to do interviews which is kind of the whole point of journalism, is having credibility. I had a lot of students that wanted to do the opinion sections and the fun sections, um, but it's a little bit more difficult to get them to do the hard-hitting fact-based se sessions or even the ones that, um, like, I tried to have a reporter consistently cover, like, the student council meetings or student government meetings, um, and that was difficult that was, as well yeah. because... As a college student, I mean, there's so much going on, and there's so much, like, exciting excitement going on. Um, but at the same time, it's like you just want to experience the excitement. You don't really want to pick it apart, or you don't want to dive into it. And you definitely don't want to talk to anyone you don't know. Uh, so that was probably the most difficult thing. And also, um, I mean, the sad part about that is that basically the hardest part was getting my writers to be credible, which I mm -hmm. think really leads into probably what we're going to end up talking about here. Um, but, uh, that's probably the biggest takeaway, and it was a big push just to step people outside of their zone, um, but of course you're working with new writers, uh, I had some yeah. experience under my belt, I also was the person that just flung myself out into the fire, and I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'll just go, like, work at an but, actual but, job. Jeff, Jeff <laughs> with, with that, you're saying that you're working with new writers, and you've constantly brought up, well, as a freshman, you're shy, you know, as a freshman, that's new yada 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 if i recall correctly a majority of your writers were at least sophomore i, I would say a, a majority of them were junior and up at least from my experience and i would also even counter your point there further because i have intimate knowledge of what was going on because we were dating at the time and also i was on the staff kind of wow um, conflict that, of interest much no a little bit a little bit of conflict. well see here's the thing I was the only one that was consistently, me and like two other people were the only people that consistently turned in articles on time. I turned mine in early, relatively frequently, for edits. 
because I also knew what her workload was. So I was like, okay, I'll get my article to use as soon as possible so you don't have to worry about it. And it was also one of the least edited pieces, I might say. I mean, I'm just fluffing yeah. myself here. But <laughs> I don't um, think that's well, true. Your grammar was awful. My grammar was awful, but my content was always <laughs> on point. Okay. And and what my, my point here though is some of your best writers, and actually I'm pretty sure one of the person that the person that took over for you was a freshman when they joined your staff. So to me it seemed like as they got older, they got more complacent in their writing, less uh, interested in constructive criticism, less interested in actually sourcing their topics and more interested in writing opinion, and less interested in just general reporting on anything interesting. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say that's <laughs> correct. Um, the thing to remember, though, is that we are also and in if an so academic... why? If so, why? I guess I should add on that. Why okay. do you think? Well, first, I wanted to say that we were in an academic setting. So yeah. now, granted, there were definitely students that as a journalism student, you have to take at least one credit. So like one semester of the, or yeah, one semester of the, the buzz as a journalist major. But there were also people that were just doing it for fun or extra experience. And one thing that was difficult for me to remember it, is that, sorry, I dropped my phone, that oh. uh, it is an academic setting. And so a lot of times um, it was people outside of their major and so whenever something school-wise came up, they're going to prioritize something over the school newspaper. Or they're going to prioritize a class over the school newspaper. And in all honesty, the school newspaper's grading was a little bit more lenient than other, like, actual classes. So the academic setting did make it difficult. Um, and also, as a college student, you're trying to be involved in everything. So a lot of my writers were also involved in, like, Dance Marathon or other clubs or... Um, they were doing of interest was probably fairly prevalent there too. Yes. Well, there's always conflict of interest because in all honesty, the people that are going to do the newspaper and the people in clubs in general are kind of going to be the people that like to be involved in everything. Mm -hmm. So that that's one point, but, um, returning to the why, I guess, um, I forgot what the initial question was. Why am I so answering why? <laughs> is why? Why does it seem as these students got older? a lot of their journalistic curiosity left. Like they seem to go in, based on my experience, and I was there for a year and a half, and that was yeah, part of junior year and all of senior year because I worked under your predecessor, who's also a good friend of mine, Ashlyn Machko. Honestly, was a great writer. I think was kind of your mentor in some aspect, if I'm correct on that. Um, and, you know, she's great and she's on to bigger and better things than <laughs> what I'm doing right now. At <laughs> least she's kind of succeeded in a lot anyway. of ways. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I like to talk uh, talk up my all my friends, but uh, in a lot of ways, they seem to have lost a lot of their innate talent and skill, and it seems to be just replaced by a level of complacency and uh, a level of you know just non interest in what they're talking yeah. about. There's a couple of different reasons for that. One would be their priorities changed. Um, as you go through college, you kind of figure out more and more what your path is, and so you start to prioritize what you want your career to be. I mean, once you get to be a junior, senior, you're starting to think about, okay, I need to have that relevant experience to do what I want to do. And so that was definitely part of it for some some of the writers. Um, like I said, they weren't always a journalism or even communications major. Some of them just want, wanted to try it out. And so definitely changing priorities was a big one. Um, they just didn't prioritize it as much and yet they still wanted to help out. And so they would just kind of write an article at the last minute and hope it was fine and have any like mm -hmm. uh interviews or anything 
Another aspect I think would be because there was some more lenient grading and also because of the environment. Are, are you really going to put Savelle out here like that and, and, and say that it was his fault? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no. I'm the, it's a, of course not. Savelle's great, so it can't have been his fault. Well, for the record, like I said, I mean that it, you, can't, you can't get credit for this newspaper, but also, like I said, a lot of people aren't doing it for credit, so mm -hmm. a lot of people are just in it for fun. Um, so some people weren't even being graded. Yeah, but I also just the environment surrounding St. Ambrose. St. Ambrose is a small college surrounded by i mean the quad cities is decently sized but considerably it's it's pretty small town um and so the environment is very much um sometimes trying to figure out what you can even talk about or doing more like there are a lot of fluffy human interest articles rather than like fact-based articles yeah and that's also probably the biggest thing is that students are going to be interested in the human interest articles or they're going to want to do what's easiest for them, which would be like, oh, I know that I'm in Dance Marathon and we have a big event coming up, so I'll just cover that. And yeah. so... So they're going to report what they're already intimately familiar with rather than I think just in general, that's a big problem or a, something that journalists struggle with all the time is just convenience. Like you get so busy with everything that you just end up wanting to do, I want to interview who's convenient. So even though I've interviewed this person 10 times, I'm going to interview them again because I know they'll respond and I've already interviewed them. It's comfortable. Or I uh, am already going to be at this event, so I might as well cover it and make a story out of it because it's a check mark off of my article list. Um, and so it's just kind of convenience. It's the area that you're in where there's not necessarily always those political controversies or big stories to cover. And it's also just kind of the lazy college student where some people, as they get to be a junior and senior, are like, okay, I'm going to do all these internships and I'm ready to go. And other people are like, oh, I'm getting to be a junior and senior. I need to party it up before I have to hit the yeah. real world. Yeah, before and I so... lose the college experience, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I will say just that was not me. <laughs> that was, dude. Okay. That was, a, that was not true. That is 100%, 0% me because. As like as I got into junior year, I took on like three times as much responsibility. What are you talking about? You took an entire semester over to Ireland to party. Yeah, I did not take an entire semester over Ireland to party. I took an entire semester over to Ireland to to complete my major. I have to. That's a requirement of an international relations major. That is, it is, and I got all A's and one B, and the one B was in <laughs> romantics because rom I can't, I'm terrible at poetry. And I'm surprised that I actually got a B in that class. I should have gotten I was going to say, I could see why you got low in romantic bids. Shut up. <laughs> just mm -hmm. kidding. Just kidding. He's great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway. I, I, oh, yeah, thanks, babe. Oh, yeah, that's definitely going to convince a lot of people that I'm great. You want uh, me to be on so, here, so. That's true. Uh, um, but along, so I was, like I said, I was a political columnist uh, for The Buzz. And I wrote several articles detailing uh, coverage pretty objectively, I would say, uh, from my perspective, at least. Yes, no, maybe so. I don't fairly know. Fairly yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so compared, compared to the rest of the writers, I was fairly objective. I actually was able to nab a couple of interviews, too. Like, I interviewed Father Tom uh, in regards to um, the Easter attacks that were going on at the time. Um, and I was able to cite multiple sources 
from you know ABC, CNN, Fox. And I try to always have at least one right wing and one left wing source because I followed. I'm not a journalist. I have zero journalistic talent whatsoever. I am a political science person, so I'm interested in the issues. But I was able to follow the journalistic standard of of three calls, I believe is what it is. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, and I could be using the entirely incorrect vocabulary here, but you call one person from the right wing, one person from the left wing, and then you call your editor or something like that. So then you have both sides of the issue, and then you have your editor look it over to make sure that it's correct before you publish it, right? Um, and I could be completely wrong there, and I don't know if that's actually a principle, but that's what I did, was I tried to get one source, and all of a sudden I wasn't calling people. I was getting a source from Fox, I was getting a source from CNN, you know, right, left, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, why? I never saw that in anyone else's articles, and they were covering political events as well. Um, do you think that that's just something that, being a you know political science student, I'm privy to that information, and I feel the need, you know, through my education to represent both sides of the issue because i see valid points in both or is it just me as a person i just happen to do that well not to get into last week's topic but for one college and any school in general you're going to see more of one side of the issue than the other mm -hmm. so within the like i said the environment makes a big difference especially when you're still a learning journalist and you're not experienced um which i I learned as well, but the college environment is definitely, they're going to push one side. And I think a lot of times students don't stop and think like, oh yeah, you know what? This is actually kind of like the opinion of the college. It's not fact. And so mm -hmm. I think that played a role in it um, is that there were just some issues that the school is like, okay, we're a Catholic college. This is our stance on it. And students took that and they're like, oh, okay. So this is the issue and this is a fact because that's what the college says even though the college is saying this was our stance on it. And so part a lot of, that, of the time I didn't actually hear that we're a Catholic university. I heard that we're a liberal arts university and this. Yeah. Is our uh, it, and that was just something I talked with Father Tom about this as well. And yeah, that's a different conversation. Uh, yeah. So that's that's part of it. And also just in general, college students are going to be about themselves. They're going to be in kind of this little bubble of what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do with this college experience? Um, how am I going to make it as an independent person? And that's just the nature of college. Yeah. Um, but because of that, again, they're going to be in this bubble that's all that's reflecting back on them is their own opinion or these opinions um, that they just don't, they're so busy with stuff at college, they're so busy trying to make their way in life that they don't realize that they're not facts, they're opinions or they're um, slanted or they're biased. And so that's a big part of it is honestly, well, one, a lot of students in the buzz like wrote their articles last minute, which means yeah. you're going to write whatever's on the top of your head and you're not going to do your research. And and that's a big part of it as well. It's just they, a lot of them didn't research because... That was noticeable. Because they're... Well, because they're... Well, they're I mean, just think who's, who knows the issues. If you read the newspaper and you're like, that's wrong. <laughs> like, you're going to just be like, what? what is going on here? What is this person yeah. Well, and also just the issues we covered in the buzz a lot were local events, college mm -hmm. events, or covering a person. Like, oh, this teacher did something really good. Let's cover this teacher. And so then they're like, oh, I attended the event. I had that experience. The, the event through my eyeballs was what I saw. So that must be fact. And that's all I need to figure out. 
yeah. instead of expanding it like how can i make this more article more in depth how can i actually inform people besides just trying to get them to experience what i experienced yeah. um um, and, and, again, and along think, those yeah. lines, yes, I actually we have a question from the chat here that I think is very relevant. And this is coming from Shelly V, um, you know, shout out. Uh, so she's asking, do you guys dig further into the stories you guys reporting on? And now I want to relate that. I believe you had a, a pretty hard hitting piece on was it custodial work in some way uh, yeah. early on in your career? Uh, could you talk more about that, how you dig deeper in that and what institutional barriers were thrown in the way or or weren't yeah i know I'm the answer sure. to these questions but i figure <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make them as vague. Um, yeah that's actually a really good topic to bring up and maybe it's probably better for me to talk more about my my experience rather than like my frustration because I, I, think, I think it's very yeah. it's very informative yeah so what um my, what my topic was what my goal was is maintenance at sau so as a college student i experienced heard felt knew about all the complaints about maintenance at in the dorm rooms um like maintenance requests that weren't being covered uh or that weren't dealt with very well that kind of thing and so what i did is i talked to my supervisor and i was like hey i know i could get in a little trouble with this because i'm publicly going to say there's something wrong with this college like so is this okay to do and he said yes but you have to be careful so basically um the main advice he gave me is go into it. I know you've heard all these complaints. I know what your opinion is on the maintenance at St. Ambrose. But what you need to do is you need to go in this story with an open mind. Like, just clear your mind of what you think you're going to find out. Um, and that's how you need to approach a story, which I think is, again, it's hard to do. It's hard to put aside your opinion and what you already know. Um, but it's possible. And so anyway, so I went into it with an open mind and I was like, okay, I'm just going to get these interviews and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to genuinely listen to what they're saying and I'm going to ask questions based on my own curiosity. So I talked to like the head of maintenance at, um, at St. Ambrose. I talked to a couple housekeepers and I also talked to a couple students to like get actual quotes of what their complaints were and that kind of thing. Um, and it was very interesting because I went into it and like everything, it's a more complex issue than it seems. And so there's like a line of, you know, oh, well, we're trying to keep up with maintenance requests, but we're loaded in them, and I just lost three staffers, and I don't have enough staff to do this, um, so we're trying our best. And in addition, St. Ambrose was doing all these new renovations, so we're trying to deal with that, and then there's some outside people. Yeah, so anyways, it's a so whole complex This is a great example of, of you being a good reporter, and so you, you didn't go into, so you went into the situation, right? Idea of exactly what's going on, because everyone has an idea the maintenance at St. Ambrose University. Yeah. But you're going into it and you're like, okay, I'm gonna have an open mind, right? You know, you're I'm, a, I'm gonna be a good reporter. I'm gonna go in with an open mind. I'm gonna hear both sides of the story. And then you find all of this juicy information that you wouldn't have found if you just took the tact of what you were just talking about with all of your other reporters who just say, oh, well, I already know what's going on here. The, and you just report the failings of maintenance rather than actually figure out what is going on here, like you were just talking about. Yeah, I'll say like, that's at the core of journalism. The whole point of journalism and the whole reason you become a journalist is because of that core curiosity. The problem today is that a lot of journalists go into it saying, I'm going to be a journalist because I want to share my opinion and I want to make a difference and I want to make people educated on how I see the world. But that's not how you go into it. The reason I went into it is one, I, well, originally it was because I like writing, mm -hmm. but I also like hearing people's stories and I want to get to know people. 
And so what you need to do is you need to go in and say, I want to learn your story. I want to learn your perspective. Instead of saying, I want you to tell me my perspective and give me a credible quote that supports my perspective, which is, um, which is again, hard to do because you need to formulate questions and it's really easy to formulate questions. So that way you get to a point where they'll admit what you want them to admit. And so, uh, so you're going to pry answers out of them essentially. Yeah. Not as, I mean, not pry answers, but like you might naturally just question more about one side of the issue and forget to ask the question about the other side of the issue. Like, oh, okay, so um, you're really understaffed and the college isn't doing anything about it. So so that must mean the, mean the college is like pretty pretty bad then, I mean, right? That must mean they not, don't care about you. And then you just keep prodding about this understaffed issue. And then, but then you completely forget to ask them about um, like the fact that they, I don't know. Another, like, you forget to ask them about another aspect of maintenance. Like, oh, I didn't even get the part of the story where they're doing renovations on top of all this because I was so busy. Like, oh, I found, you told me one thing and I'm going to hone in on that. That must be the whole issue. Instead of letting them talk. The key to an interview is letting the other person talk, by the way. <laughs> um, so. I think that's a dig at me, but okay. <laughs> oh, no. But anyways, the, the point is you just need to listen and genuinely listen um, what I try to do in an interview, which again is hard, is just try to listen, take notes, don't think. You want to think about the next question? You you want to let your natural curiosity pop up, but you don't want to be thinking about like, oh, how am I going to create this story based on this? You want to save that for later. Um, anyway, so then like going back to this specific story, what I found is then when I went to write it, I had to run it past my supervisor multiple times because there were certain things I couldn't say about the school or there were certain things that because I started a natural conversation with this maintenance guy, he was telling me about these frustrations he had. Um, but then he'd be like, Oh no, I said too much. You cannot say that. Like that's a secret thing. You know, I can't, you can't say it's that. Confidential. It's yeah. Confidential. Yeah. And, um, there were just, there's a lot of back and forth editing and I, the story didn't turn out how I would have wanted it to because I was being regulated by the school, which is understandable. Yeah, the school um, doesn't want its own press corps releasing bad PR stuff. Yes. Because in all honesty, like the newspaper is supposed to be for the students to inform the students about what the students should be informed about. So yeah, it's should. meant to... <laughs> so, so it's meant gonna... to be Yeah. I was gonna say yeah, that, that actually brings up a good point about um sponsored media, for example. So you were you met all these institutional barriers because San Ambrose, you know, basically is what allows the, the buzz to exist. So you they don't want you to say bad things about them. So then we look at, you know, larger news outlets and the question becomes, okay, who who's funding it? Who owns it? Like and one example that's really easy to poke at is Jeff Bezos owning um, the Washington Post. Yeah. Uh, so obviously the Washington Post isn't, you know, you, you notice they don't always have a negative opinion of Amazon or, you know, how they bro just broke their union attempts and whatnot. So um, I think that's a good example of seeing that bias um, in action because of who's actually funding it. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. James, James, can you run down the uh, – we've got, been stacking up questions in the chat. Can you run down those questions for us? Yeah, so um, Ailey actually asked a really good one that I'm going to save until we um, switch over to focusing on oh. the national media. But <laughs> there are a couple others. So Shelly V also asked, um, how do you know that the people you're interviewing are telling the truth? And also, do you guys ever trip them up in an interview to either get them to say something different or like you were talking about earlier, like leading questions? If you go in with an activist mindset rather than a journalist mindset, um, trying to kind of pry the correct answer out of your interviewee. Yeah. And, and do you ever write follow-up stories as well? That's I was going to ask question. that one separate, but yeah. <laughs> yeah I, okay. I mean, I think it's, it, it folds neatly into it, I think. Um, yeah, well, I'll start with the last question because that's the simplest answer. Yes, um, we often, in my experience and just talking to other journalists, there are often follow-up stories. They don't often get published. Um, <laughs> they have to be interesting enough and there has to be um, not enough other news that needs to be reported in order for your follow-up to get in there because the follow-up is going to be less priority than the rest of it depending on what the story it's not, is it's not as new right like that's yes thing. Yeah. yeah um because one of the things for news that you have to remember is like is it timely is it relevant is it you know all that stuff and so it's not as timely if it's follow-up but it depends on what it is if it's going to be a bigger issue then yes they they will definitely do a follow-up on it if there's something new and big that came out say about a court case yes they're going to do a follow-up um but, so then, getting back to the first question, if I can recall it here. Do you want me to repeat it? I'm like, I'm sure. The first question was, um, how do you know that the people you're interviewing are telling the truth? Right? Oh, yes. Okay. You don't. <laughs> um, I mean, there are those, if you want to get all psychological about it, there are those telltale signs. You can tell when people are fidgety. You can tell when they're, like, looking away and stuff. But there's not much you can do about it um, because you want them to be open to you. And if you start accusing them of lying, they're going to be like, oh, okay, this interview is done. Bye. So it, it's all about like human relations versus like trying to pry a little bit. So you don't know, but that's why you need to have multiple sources. That's why you need to do your research. Because if you're just going to interview one person and take their word for it, it's going to be a one-sided story no matter how well you interview that person how objectively you interview them because they're telling it from their perspective the way i like picture journalism as a metaphor is like a spider web so you're on the outside and you need to get all of these different sources on the outside and what you're trying to do is you're trying to slowly go around that web until you get to that middle center spot you're going to try to get all the perspectives and string them together so that way you can kind of weed out the biases, weed out the stuff that doesn't really matter um, until you can find that truth. And so that's why you do you interview multiple sources, you do background research, um, because then you can tell where the facts don't line up. And you can be like, oh, this fact doesn't line up, so I'm not going to report it because I don't know which one's true. Or this fact doesn't line up, so I'm going to dig in deeper and, you know, maybe do a history research and see what what um, what I can do there. Because it's really, you don't want to make assumptions, which is, again, really hard to do. So yeah, Naturally. Yeah. So it's, you can't always tell when someone's lying. Sometimes you can. Um, you can't do anything about it except for 
try to find a different perspective, try to look at it from another angle. And that's why, like, investigative journalism takes forever. Because it's not just like, oh, this person leaked this big scandalous thing, and so now I have a story. It's like, oh, no, I better find out if this thing actually happened, and how it happened. And so that's why they interview, like, the parent, and they interview the friend, and they interview the, um... Sorry, I've just been watching a crime show, so now I'm like, who's the culprit? But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so that that's what I would say about that issue. Um, and then, and then, do you ever try to trip up? Like, if you have come in with prior knowledge, you ever try to trip up your interviewees? You shouldn't. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that people don't. Uh, I'm not gonna say that there aren't some more assertive journalists that might try to do that, like investigative journalism. I always wanted to do investigative journalism. Truth is, I'm not an assertive enough person. I'm not brave enough to do that. Um, no. But also, you shouldn't you shouldn't try to trip them up because, like I said, you're there to hear their story and their perspective. Now, even if they're telling a lie, they're still telling you their perspective, or you still might find out what their perspective is. So that's still an important aspect of your story. Because then that aspect of your story is, you know, this person doesn't seem very trustworthy. And this big fact that the that some other media outlet is presenting seems to be wrong because now that I've interviewed you, you don't seem trustworthy. Um, yeah, you're like saying like, oh, this person yeah. seems to be lying. They're trying to, you, you know, like this is what so-and-so said. And we did some digging and we found out that was actually not true. And that cast doubts on his character or whatever is going on, you know. Yeah. And that's not to say that in an interview, don't accidentally trip them up. Sometimes, like I said, I've actually had multiple interviews where someone will say something and then afterwards they're like, oh, please don't report that. Like, I was not supposed to tell you that. You can't tell anyone that. Um, especially, I mean, at St. Ambrose, I had that multiple times. And so it, it does happen. Um, and that's where journalistic integrity comes in, which I'm afraid is lost a lot today yeah. is that integrity uh but like i took a whole class on uh theory and law of journalism and all the different rules you need to follow and it's difficult I, journalism is not just holding a phone up and recording something or it's not just talking to one person and reporting it it's a lot there's a lot of research there's a lot of um you or really that it's have... supposed to be it's yes supposed it's supposed to be, to be. A lot. Yeah. and a lot of it is coming to terms with yourself and saying, okay, I have this big story. I have the way I want this story to go, but is this truth or is this just me wanting to make a big story? Yeah. And it's a lot about talking to yourself and doubting yourself. And that's why you have editors. That's why you have multiple, multiple editors. And that's why you have other journalists. And um, so you have those different people kind of fact checking you and double checking on your integrity. So James, I think I think we've uh, put Jess yeah. in the hot seat. So uh, I actually, long enough. Yeah, I actually <laughs> want to use some of what you were saying, Jess, to pivot to the discussion on the national media. So you talked about investigative journalism and journalistic integrity, which seems to, and I would argue this one hundred percent, be missing um, on the national stage. So we talked about earlier also how people go in not because they're curious and want to be and want to objectively find the truth and you know let people know what's actually happening in the world but they want to go in and so they can share their opinion and change people's viewpoints to match their own which is activism not journalism and i think um those are those are some major issues uh that we're seeing so how do you 
how do you see the current state with you know activism replacing journalism, the destruction of of uh, investigative journalism in favor of getting the story out as soon as possible? Because now I've got social media, we have all There's these your online. Side of the story out as soon as possible. Yes, your side of the story out. And, you know, I mean, consider. Um, it's it's not about getting it right. You can always issue a retraction. You can change. You can you know stealth edit the story later on, yeah. which we see a certain number of outlets doing quite a lot in the last few years. Um, but it's about getting this shocking story out on your Facebook page, on your website, and link to link to Twitter as soon as possible, rather than getting it correct. And then also, um, I guess both of those feed into the destruction of journalistic integrity. So where do you have? Have you seen that at all in your experience outside of college? And um, do you think that those are, in your, in from what you can tell with your background, problems with the national media today? Yeah, um, I think the root of that whole problem, in my opinion, is that is the twenty four seven news cycle, because that's what forces. Especially, so I have a lot of experience in local news. And in local news, especially when I'm from Northwest Iowa, which is a lot of smaller towns, there's not always something to report. Or not always something that's not a human interest story to report. And the problem with the 24-hour news cycle is that you have to have something to report. You have to fill that slot. You have, you know, an hour-long newscast. You have to have stories for that whole hour. You can't just have a blank screen. Or you're not gonna it's not gonna go over well and because of that people are searching for stories or they are like oh crap one of our stories has a big error in it and now we can't broadcast that so we need another fill-in story for that super quick so then someone's like oh well you know what i went to a uh city council meeting i think i can recall what happened i'll just write up a brief summary of that and that's where you get some of the wrong facts that's where you get the the rushed kind of shallow stories that don't have the credibility to them and don't have any depth to them. Um, and also, they, because of that 24-hour news cycle, I think it's a lot like media has become entertainment. Oh, yeah. Oh, there yeah. Is an, <laughs> yeah, there's an aspect of entertainment. You want people interested in your stories. You want them to read them. But the whole point of the news is to be educational and to inform the public. Not to entertain, but when you have to have something every 24 hours, what I, I especially experienced this when I was at KTIV, when I was working in broadcast news, it's so fast paced. You get your story assignment in the morning. You have to call up your interviewees and kind of figure out what, how you want to go about the story. You have to wait for your interviews to respond. They respond about early in the afternoon. You have to run, go get your interview, come back, edit all your video. Um, and then be ready to go live in, you know, 10 minutes while you're waiting for your video to render. It's really fast. That can lead to a lot of errors, as with anything. And so a lot of journalistic integrity, I think, is lost because there's such a rush. And there's, such, there's so much panic. And there's so much stuff. Not only um, that, but because in order to keep people interested, you need, um, like, good footage. You need those like, oh, maybe I should animate something and make my editing interesting so people will watch the news or that kind of thing. And all that just adds extra stress and extra pressure, which 
is going to lead to those lost facts and it's going to lead to forgetting about an angle. It's going to say, okay, I need to write this story in 10 minutes. So what I need to do is find the quote and then structure my article around that quote, which I've done before. Um, it's not what you're supposed to do, but I've done it before where you have to write an article really quick and so you're like, oh, well, this is an interesting quote, so I'll just do what makes this story interesting. Well, the facts aren't always interesting, but they're important. And so, honestly, like, the answer to all those questions that you just asked or the different angles is, I think, leads back to just having to put out news so fast and so much um, that it gets lost within that. That makes um, sense. And I want to call on my background because for those of you who don't know, I do a, I am an accounting manager for one of the largest um, newspaper companies in the United States. And at the end of the day... Oh, you're it, a manager? Yeah. I'm a, I, I got promoted like <laughs> three, four weeks ago. I told you I that. I thought you were just like a senior accountant. I was, and then I got promoted. Oh, my. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. you bringing in six figures a year. James is kind of a no. big wig, but he's trying to hide it. Yeah, uh, James is basically in charge of all of the United States media. That's what he's saying. He yes. is Jeff Bezos. Oh, so it's your uh, fault then. It's actually yeah. James' fault. I, I all take of James' fault. We, uh, Jessica, the journalist, has uncovered the actual story here, and that it's James's fault for all of the problems with the media. You know, I'm. <laughs> I, how are you to defend yourself? It, it it can't be because Jeff Bezos has a lot of a lot of things on me, but I have a better hairline. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Well, you have hair, so. <laughs> Anyway, um, anyway so, moving on. you have a better hairline than me, okay? I look like Vegeta. Yeah. Um. Um, so what it boils down to is advertising revenue. So before, not only was when you, when you released one paper per day, um, you had more time to gather the facts and get everything in. You still had to have it in technically the night before because they print paper at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, but... Not only that, not only did you have more time, but also there wasn't much competition for advertising. Um, then, you know, radio and TV came along, but still not that much because, you know, a lot of people were captivated by, by the paper. They bought it because it's just what they did to get their news. And then the Internet came. And now advertising isn't dictated by you can't go in and say, hey, I want you to advertise with me because I have 10,000 subscribers. I'm going to put your ad in front of 10,000 people every day. Then the same then and random online media company, let's call it something stupid like BuzzFeed. Um, or Nightbound Media. And, hey, we don't we don't do advertising yet. Uh, so they uh, they come along and they say, okay, fair. This one article about um, Donald Trump doing a backflip with sprinkles and a chocolate uh, chocolate milkshake. All right, all right, all right Tim Pool. Do you have a better example or is it? Just not on the spot not on the spot it's a milkshake not an ice cream cone oh um, there you go okay so now it's your own yes that's that, you know that got 1.5 million million clicks so now now it's a race to get it's it's a race to get clicks because clicks mean impressions and you can sell based on impressions um in each impression by the way uh is like three cents you can get your ad in front of someone for three cents whereas if you use a newspaper that same ad is going to cost you two to three dollars per person, and so your ROI on advertising with this online media is much higher. But in order for them to drive those clicks, they have to get sensational stories, and they have to constantly be pumping them out to drive that traffic. And not only that, but um, with the rise of social media and how Facebook will show you 
articles from sites that they think you'll like to keep you on their site. Um, same yeah. with Twitter, Snapchat, everything that, you know, that advertises. That's causing uh, further polarization because now you're in a bubble. Well, now BuzzFeed go, before they put out all kinds of stories. Now they go, well, we're, you know, mostly getting traffic from the left. So now we're going, so now we're not going to put out sensationalist stories that would be appealing to the right side of the political spectrum. So then they just constantly become further and further either right or left because they have, because that's who their audience is and their audience is being pushed towards them and then it, it just spirals. So at the end of the day, this boils down to not, I think at the activism in journalism is a byproduct of the fact that these outlets need to drive as much traffic as possible in order to get ad revenue. And that's it. It's a business, end of, end of story. It's not about giving us the correct information. It's about getting clicks or views. Yeah. Well, and ever, yeah, that's a really good point to bring up is that especially for newspapers, um, and even with a little bit with broadcast news, is they are dying industries. They have to figure out how to get those views, how to get people to subscribe, because the number of people subscribing to newspapers is just going down the drain. A lot of, I mean, there are some newspapers that aren't even printing newspapers anymore. They're only doing online because it's just so low. And so, like you said, it comes down to, okay, so we can either try to be like hard hitting journalism and do it the right way, but nobody will read it. So what's the point? Or we can try to get a lot of people to read it by doing these fluffy human interest stories or by taking the popular view or popular stance on something and get those views to keep us alive. And then I'm sure some people go into it saying, okay, well, we're going to still try to be objective, but we're going to do these human interest stories. Um, and then, you know, I promise once we get more people and then we're in a comfortable place financially, then we'll go back to like more of that investigative journalism, that deep, um, hard hitting stuff that might be a little controversy controversial but the problem is they're never going to get back to that because they're going to constantly be trying to fight the internet they're going to try to fight podcasts a lot of people get their news from social media it's hard to keep up with social media and it's hard to beat social media um, especially when social media is telling people or giving people news that agrees with what their viewpoints are and then they're like oh yeah well this is comfortable news because i mm -hmm. knew this already and i feel smart and that confirms what i think and so that means that's a good it's a good story rather than it being like oh well i don't agree with this so i'm not comfortable with that so i'm not going to pay attention to that one um and i think that's that's a big culture and it all comes kind of back to that business aspect of news that we're, we forget about a lot of times so we think it's a free service it's not <laughs> so yeah well uh, and, and one thing that i want to want to bring up that i i have uh, prepared for everyone is uh, a couple of articles to exemplify what we're talking about here do you want me to bring um, them up yeah if you want to go ahead and do that uh, if yep. you can show them were you able to open them up yeah i just had to use uh firefox okay the superior um, <laughs> the superior thing but yeah so so there's two articles here and these are both from the washington post and these, neither one of these are, are uh, opinion. So one of them is a health article, and the other one is a politics article. So these are... Uh, and, and Jess, can you, can you, in 30 seconds or less, explain the difference between opinion and news? Um, opinion is not based on facts. It is biased and one-sided. It's based on perspective, where facts are based on what actually happened and get down to the root of truth. Facts are okay. truth. So, so effectively, these articles, since they're news-based articles, they're not opinion pieces. They should be reporting the news and, and and without any slant, really. 
And what we're looking at here is we're looking at two articles, you know, a couple of months apart in the sense of what the these two presidents were at in their in their presidency. So we have Joe Biden um, right now, uh, May twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. Uh, and uh, James, do you have this uh, article pulled up? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. So it says weightlifting Gatorade birthday calls inside Biden's day. Okay. And I don't really want to just read through the whole piece because my brain will bleed. But essentially, it is a puff piece about how great Joe Biden is and how much, you know, it, it has even a line in it that says it marks a sharp contrast with President Donald Trump, whose days often ran both early and late with tweets that were frequently angry or inflammatory and whose time was often consumed by rambling rallies, spontaneous calls to TV hosts and random unscripted activities. So, which very well might be true. Like I'm, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt that might be factual, but the word choice in there is very biased. Rambling, rambling rallies. You could argue that these rallies were occasionally, you know, going off, flying off the cuff, but he wasn't like shooting on a shot of pressure. That is what I would consider <laughs> rambling. And that is a real quote from Joe Biden. You can go look it up if you don't believe yeah. me. And then let's pull up, James, pull up the Trump reportedly yep. gives 12 cans of yeah, diet well, each day. Yeah. And real quick, like back on the Biden article, sure. I can tell you one, one good way to tell whether an article is a little bit slanted is look at the adjectives that they use. So, for example, just looking at this sentence, it was a rare glimpse inside a president's actual life. The extreme script, the extreme scripting and almost surreal regimentation that defined Biden's days, like surreal, extreme, rare. Who, who's determining that? Who said it was yeah. rare? Like, I think a daily yeah. regiment's not pretty, not pretty normal. I, mean, I have a daily uh, regiment. It's not something that uh, I necessarily want to share with anyone. Yeah, and boring. I'm pretty sure that uh, Biden is in front of a press or in front of people like yeah. most of his time. So why is it rare? You know, just those little adjectives are often what show the, what the articles like. Yeah, and and the whole point of that article, if I might say, from from a, a political science perspective because we deal a lot with the public. That is, you know, the whole purpose of politics is to deal with the public. Uh, so uh, political science is the study of who gets what, when, and how. Why is not a question that's for political philosophy to determine. But um, in this, this piece is attempting to portray Joe Biden as a an everyman, man of the people, you know, when he's talking about, oh, I drink orange Gatorade and I eat chocolate chip cookies. It's something that, you know, my grandpa would do if he was still alive. Uh, I know my dad, we were just actually uh, hanging out with my dad yesterday, and he ate 10 chocolate chip cookies back to back because he loves them. I hate you for saying that. I did, uh, yeah, he's going to hate me for saying that. I made them. I make, I'm a great cook. I'm a great baker. Uh, but that's besides the point. That's bias, yeah. by the way. That's called it is, opinion. It is, that is called bias and opinion, but I, <laughs> I have several sources to back me up on that. But regardless, the whole point of this piece is to portray Joe Biden as a, as a lovable grandfather, effectively, right? Kick over to that Trump piece. Now, this is also, again, a news piece from the Washington Post. Same uh, same publication, different section of the publication, but effectively the same, still news. And this is all about how unhealthy Trump is, how he's going to die, how, you know, he's just a slob, effectively. The whole point of this is to say that Trump is disgusting and gross. And you can look at the word choice in here as well. He inhaled um, filet uh, fish. Yeah, inhaled filet fish and Big Macs and snacked on Oreos. 
instead of you know what what we're talking about joe biden sipping on uh uh orange gatorade and munching on chocolate chip cookies right like it it is a completely different word choice over here and and it's talking about how many grams of sugar trump is consuming daily right and obviously this is a little bit of a different perspective coming from the health section so of course they're going to talk about that kind of stuff but it doesn't talk about you know and how well you know trump avoids any kind of alcohol because of his personal relationship in his family with alcohol it, it doesn't talk about anything positive that is actually a fact he does not drink beer because of how it affected his uh, uh i think it was his brother yeah his uh, brother yeah how it affected his brother how alcoholism tore apart his brother so he doesn't do that but this health article doesn't talk about that and you might say well, well patrick the scope isn't that you know but anyway, sorry Jess, and i also want to point out that um sort of like you mentioned like the scope of the article the perspective of it is this is what I was talking about where you get hooked on one perspective mm -hmm. because what I'm not when I read this article what I'm not seeing is the statistics that say okay what does well how many cokes does the average American drink yeah uh, like comparatively is Trump really that bad or like I'm not seeing the other perspective of this of like you said okay so he's drinking all these but how much does he exercise or that kind yeah. of thing and so this or, or or he drinks he drinks diet coke instead of drinking beer which. You could argue conceivably if you drank the same amount of beer as some people drink Diet Coke, they would be alcoholics, right? Like, yeah. so you could conceivably say that that's actually positive. And that's a spin, right? I'm putting a spin on it. I will admit that that is a 100% a spin. But I think, and, and also they talk about how he's going to have a stroke, hopefully, and, and he's going to you know, fall into dementia, which we all know Joe Biden's demented at this point. Yeah. But well, and I also want to yeah. <laughs> point out that this does come back to the advertising, too, is the perspective of the article. Um because whoever they're being funded by is going to affect what, what stories they're covering. Um, and I had a better point to make than that, but of course, yeah. I, like, and, I must and, have dementia. And, and just I'm to not... continue on, and now, James, you don't have this pulled up because I didn't feel the need to link it, yeah. but I have a list of articles here. And now this is just from this year. And these are articles from the New York Times, which is the gray lady. This should be Supposed good. to be objective. And this, I'm just going to read you some of these headlines. Okay. Um, Trump's 1776 commission critiques liberalism in a report derided by historians. That is not objective. <laughs> that is, that it's an objective fact that it's being critiqued by some historians. Who are those historians? And what, and you know, why is that, be, that your take on 1776 commission, whereas your take on 1619 was opens up interesting avenues for a conversation. You know, like that was essentially the idea. I don't have those articles pulled up, but I can guarantee you can find some that says that. Mm -hmm. uh, Pompeo, who led Trump's mission at the State Department, leaves with a dubious record or le legacy. Those are back to back. NSA installs Trump loyalist as top lawyer days before Biden takes office. You know, it, it, what... prospect of pardons in final days fuels markets to buy access to Trump. And it's all like... You could argue, now again, this is not my point. My, uh, You could argue, well, those are objective. Those are right. Okay, sure. Go ahead and make that argument. Then turn around, and then you can look at what the New York Times says about Biden. And Biden is aiming to rebuild and expand illegal immigration. Beneath Biden's folksy demeanor, a short fuse, and an obsession with details. And then it's talking, that article is all about how Biden is just super organized and how he's just a great president, right? Well, every, and, everything here is framing that, like, cause, exactly. so there's, 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 there's two different types Flush of, bias, yes, yes, there's different types of bias that are really like, there's the in your face, like, 
oh, we're not going to cover the uh, the Israel, the Middle East peace deals with Israel because yeah. that no, you know, we can't spin that in a bad way. They tried. They actually tried. They failed. They, they um, tried. And it's really, really bad because it's everyone can tell on this face. Yes, because if you can't, it, you know, so if you can't spin it, you ignore it because yeah. then you, you, know, you don't want to be ob- too obvious that you're that you're. Biased. Yeah, and, and my, my point, my point, James, is yeah. that this selection bias here is the problem. OK. Now you can conceivably say, well, all of this is correct. Yeah, from a certain perspective, right? You know, and if you don't recognize that it's perspective, you say, no, this is all factually 100% objective. Trump is going to die of a stroke because of all his Diet Cokes and Joe Biden brings routine back to the White House. Yeah, from your perspective, from my perspective, we have an old doddering man who needs to be led around with a cane. You and know, what like, I think, yeah, what I think that, yeah, you're And, and, and what, I'm, what, I'm, what, I'm, what, like, what the crux of the matter is, is I have zero problem with a tough media on the president. I we need have a one. huge problem. We need one. That, that is the fourth you know, leg of the chair that holds up the government, right? We need to be construct, uh, criti- criticizing the government through the media. I have a problem when you have one president come in from one particular side of the aisle and he gets railed unnecessarily in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, we, we just had reports coming out. Well, well, we did, you know, follow the lab leak hypothesis. This is Washington Post and New York Times who are just brought up. We didn't follow the lab leak hypothesis because Trump said it. So we just didn't do it. Well, he was right. So why don't you just say, well, have to admit Trump was right. He's been wrong about some things, but he was right about this. No, they're going to say, well, we didn't follow because of Trump, you know, and Trump's terrible and blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, it comes down if to, wanna, is if it, you want to be hard on one president, you got to be hard on both. Yes. Well, it comes down to, is this journalism or is this public relations? Yeah, and I and think right now are. those are blurred. There's no line between them. It runs into each other. <laughs> well, and that's that's something that we've seen a lot of recently um, because we see a lot with the New York Times, WAPO. They're, they would take a um, DNC PR statement and print it verbatim. Or well, People go from these publications to the Biden administration. Yeah, like and, and vice versa. People from CNN to, and then, yeah. And then Another one. Another one like that's infuriating. One of them. Yeah. One that's infuriating is back in um, 2019, the, PR, or the, uh, the New York Times was literally taking CCP new, uh, PR statements pu- from the Global Times and publishing them verbatim as a news story. Literal communist propaganda was taken and published as a factual news story in the New York Times. And it's not the only time that's happened. And... I mean, you see this constantly with the national media. And what we, you know, the counterpoint is, okay, sure, the New York Times is biased. CNN is biased. So you, you got Fox News, the most biased, you know, uh, cable news network. You've got uh, One America News. You've got the Epoch Times. Yes, they're all biased. But a lot of them, like the Epoch Times, was founded specifically to counter something like the New York Times. You've got a lot of right-leaning media popping up specifically to counter left-wing media. It's not like they, you know, they existed all, they were center one day, then all split. James, can you pull up that, that diagram that Jess sent us? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me a second. Yeah, while we're talking, well, while we're talking wanna, about this, illustrate it. I yeah. want to point out, too, that if you want to be a journalism outlet, if you want to be a media outlet and be biased, that's okay. But you can't claim that you're an objective media outlet. If yeah. you're going to be biased and you're going to take a stance in an article, then you need to say, we're going to be, for instance, the Daily Wire. You're going to, you need to say, we are a right-wing media outlet. And, and that's do. the perspective. Yeah, and that's yeah. the perspective we're going to go with. You can't be 
CNN and say that, okay, we are an objective media outlet and then post a story that's all about how, you know, Biden is great and Trump sucks or something like that. Exactly. So as long, yeah, you need to be transparent. <laughs> yeah, hiding hiding that is the problem. And here we yeah. have uh, an all sides media they uh, are all sides. They created this chart looking at stories. It's like 80%, 85% accurate. I would yeah. Say. Well, I would say that, yeah, probably, probably slightly more than that. I mean, taking into consideration over a time span greater than 2016 yeah, to 2020. Than- yeah, greater than twenty. I would say twenty twelve to twenty twenty. But yeah, yeah, sure. A greater greater than that time span. Yeah, this is pretty accurate. But lately, I would definitely move AP, BBC, you know, NPR, RCP, all of uh, uh, USA Today recently more on the left hand side. But yeah, no, I, I would agree with what you're saying. Yeah. So this is yeah, sorry, this sorry. is a good breakdown of where the largest news outlets in the country are right now. Um, I mean, if you look at. Uh, yeah, the Wall Street Journal is definitely more right leaning, especially in their opinion. Be, uh, opinion yeah, in their pieces. opinion, but then their and their in their news, it's it's fairly centrist. Yeah, I mean, like things like Market Watch are very, very really good at being centrist. Um, USA Today and the Hill, I think they have enough of each side to balance themselves out. I, I'm surprised that the Guardian is just lean left. That is pretty far left. I used to read the Guardian. The Guardian. And I had to, I had to cancel my subscription because it was just so bad. The Guardian like, is so establishment. Yes, the Guardian's establishment it, oh, because yeah. they are they are what like they are Bush like George W. Bush right leaning in the their Guardian? in their foreign policy in their foreign policy yeah okay maybe in their form I didn't I didn't read in their foreign policy but I, I mostly read their maybe foreign in the foreign policy maybe in their foreign policy but like they're all because I read it for a view of British news besides mm-hmm. the the Crown News which was BBC Crown right news network uh but um I I do want to point out just. I love the fact that CNN is far left. That is 100% correct. Yep. And, and then they, they're like, you know, the, I believe they have the tagline, most trusted name in news. Which is a not blatant true. lie, false that marketing. Not true. And, and this this ties into what Wiener Central 6 you just said, I think. And, and this is great. And his, I'm assuming it's a he. Uh, his question was, my my question is, if journalistic integrity has ever really existed meaningful, meaningfully. And then he gets into American history of like yellow journalism, false bias, sensational mm-hmm. stuff, which is a hundred percent accurate. And actually, um, he's hitting the nail on the head right here. There used to be papers that'd be like the the Virginia Democrat, right? And it would give you just very biased Democrat stuff, right? And, and this mm-hmm. is obviously in the time of the Civil War, right here, or whatever. Yeah. Or the Virginia Republican, or or the Statesman, or the Democrat statements, or whatever it was, right? And they'd be very open about it, which meant that you could get both papers and you would get both sides of the issues side by side. And then you could look at them and then you get your news, right? And that's an important note. Most big cities did have two papers for that reason. Exactly. Exactly. And that way, you know, I would say, oh, well, the Democrats are saying that this is the argument from the Democrats. This is the argument from Republicans. And you can do the reasonable, rational thing where, well, they agree that's the actual facts and everything else is opinion, right? Which is what you should be doing, right? Right now, we have CNN, we have New York Times, we have Washington Post, uh, Democracy Dies in Darkness, which is what they're creating. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, these news outlets will come out and say, well, we are objective sources. No, you're not. I would have way more respect for CNN if they act like MSNBC, which I, I clearly left out of that grouping because MSNBC comes out and says, we are a left-leaning outlet. We're going to report news in a left-leaning way. Mm-hmm. At the gym I work out at, I've got Fox News, who is pretty openly conservative, and I've got MSNBC, which is openly left. And I appreciate that because I, I can look at one side and see, oh, well, 
Fox News is reporting on this local or, or this big issue of like a fire or something like that. And MSNBC is reporting on what Fox News is saying. So I can tell that MSNBC is a waste of my time and Fox News is where the actual news is. But that is besides the point. Uh, you know, if these institutions were open about their bias, I think we'd have a lot less problems because we can say, oh, well, you're citing CNN. You know, well, they're going to give you the left wing side of it, of course. You, know, yeah. you want to go read Fox News so you can get the right wing side. And then you can decide, oh, well, Fox News is trash. I'm going to listen to CNN or whatever you're going to come up with. Well, so, yeah, and one... I think that's. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. Yeah, go go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's like the transparency is what, what has been lost. And that's what it comes down to is also. is. Can we get a... that back, Jess? Can we get that back? I think we can. Um, but what I, I mean, I was going to say that the thing is. What you need to do as a journalist, what journalists need to do is they need to state, they need to make sure people know, I am a human being, I'm going to have a perspective. No matter how objective, how much research you do, you're still going to have a perspective that you're, what lens you're seeing it through. You're no matter no matter how objective you try to be, because you're going to select stories yes. based on what you want. Yeah, you're going to forget that interview or you're going to, you know, that one source wasn't available for an interview and you're going to miss their perspective and you're going to miss that side of the story. That's going to happen. And it's always happened. So yeah, so there was sensational news and there was yellow journalism back then and the journalists were like, yeah, you know what, I'm being sensational because I want your business. And that's, you know, they were open about it. I'm a tabloid, that's what yes. I do. <laughs> yeah, but they were transparent. And so that's what we need to get back to is because in the end, journalists are always going to be humans. They're always going to be tainted. You're, there's tons of culture and tons of opinions being blasted at us every day. It's going to be hard to let go of that as a journalist. Yeah, and along oh. the same lines, Jess, why is there always more bad news reported than good news? That's a question from Shelly B. Yeah, and so what we need to get back to is we need to get back to, um, in the end, journalists are going to be journalists. They're going to report what they report. But what needs to happen is readers and people who are consuming the media need to be responsible. They need to go into an article reading it with a critical eye. You can't just read an article and then be like, oh, I learned a new fact today. Let's go tell someone. You need yeah. to read an article and then read another article and then read another article and then talk to someone about it. And then from there, get your opinion. And that's what's that's another thing that's not happening today is we're not having responsible readers. Like I said, tons of people are getting their news from social media. Or tons of memes, which is even worse. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or they get their news by reading headlines. And that that's not reading a story. A lot of headlines are specifically biased or sensational to get you to read the article. That's kind of the point. Um, and so I will say, so your point about people not doing their due diligence in reading different viewpoints and actually researching it for themselves, it, we've seen this issue become <laughs> monumental in the last few years to the point where there's, you know, it basically can swing elections yeah. um so you've actually and this is not sponsored but there's there's companies like peanut for example that'll come out and say here's the headlines here you know here's the story here's what fox news is saying about it here's what um cnn's saying about it here's what the epoch times and the new york times are saying about it and then you can go through and read each of their articles and all together and um i think that like it, how do you combat the negative effects of internet media yeah. With internet media, it's yeah, super it's, easy it's, to compile. Com conglomerating all of these stories into something that can say, and you, and you want to try to say as objective as possible as well. And again, you're going to have selection bias in, in this, so it's not never going to be perfect, right? But bringing these stories together and say, hey, these is where the stories are. 
I'm knowledgeable about this topic, you know, uh, like, for example, the, the recent abortion case that is uh, reaching the Supreme Court, you could say, I'm knowledgeable about this topic. When, when this article is using the term reproductive rights, clearly they're from a left-wing perspective. When this article is using the term, uh, you know, pro-life or, or using the term, you know, like, or caring about the baby or something like that, clearly they're going to be on more of the right-wing side. And, and looking at that from through that perspective, you could provide an understanding of, okay, here are the charged words when you come to this kind of discussion. So you can tell immediately, and this is something that I learned in political science, actually, because when I'm having a conversation with someone, it's particularly about politics uh, and culture to a lesser degree. Depending on their word choice, I can tell almost immediately what their perspective is going to be. Almost immediately. Um, I can go through, you know, one paragraph of an article and say, oh, okay, yeah, this guy is writing from the left. Or, okay, this guy is writing from the right. Or I can say, this guy's trying really hard to not, you know, write from his perspective, which is, you know, respectable, right? Uh, and that's what I try to do in my, my columns is I would actually flip-flop my word choice. So I'd start out saying, well, you know, the, uh, I wrote an article about Illinois, an Illinois bill that was geared towards uh, providing more abortion access, let's say. And I think that's the most objective way I can term that. Um, and I would go through and I'd say, oh, this, uh, this article is geared towards reproductive rights. And then I would continue onwards. And later in the article, I'd say, uh, you know, and this, this, art, uh, this, this, uh, this bill will effectively make it more easy to kill babies. Both of those sentences are politically charged from the opposite sides of the perspective, or uh, the political perspective there. So as you go through, I'm flipping up this word choice so it's, you're not getting all of one word choice in there. And that, that was my way of trying to make it as objective as possible when it comes down to the nitty gritty. Didn't always work because I have my own personal biases, so I'm going to report more this straw man when I can and the steel man, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I have my own well, faults, and, but that's what I try to do. Yeah. If you want to be educated and you want to be informed what it comes down to is you need to think you cannot be educated or informed if you don't think if you just take everything at first glance or you just you know you read a bunch of stuff but you don't compare like oh yeah i've read 10 articles so now i'm a pro well yeah but if you don't think about those articles and you don't compare and you don't find like oh these facts don't line up but these do in all of these articles you're not going to find anything out you're not going to be educated it just means that you're well read that doesn't, if I don't do anything with that information, then it doesn't mean anything. Especially so, if you just read 10 articles from yeah. Slate, Vox, New York Times, HuffPo, exactly. CNN, you know, like you're just gonna get one perspective. And you need to think of, you when you're reading something too, you need to think of your own bias. So there are definitely times where I read an article and I'm like, oh, this article kind of stinks. And then I think about it and I'm like, why do I think it stinks? Oh yeah, because I don't agree with that sentence and I don't agree with that sentence. So, okay, well then I'm not learning from the article. What I'm doing is I'm taking the article and I'm breaking down, you know, like what I hate and what I don't hate. And then that's what I'm presenting to other people when I share that information. Um, you have to think. And it, it's hard to do <clears throat> and it's hard to get outside of your own mind. Um, but that's, that's what it comes down to. And I do just really want to quick uh, get back to the question about why is so much bad news presented over good news? It comes back to kind of the advertising and the viewers. Mm -hmm. In the end, you people are naturally more attracted to the bad. A bad story is naturally going to be more appealing. It's going to be more exciting. It's just like an action movie. An action movie is going to be more exciting than watching a romantic comedy that is good, makes you smile the whole time. Yeah. You want that balance of like happy and, and it's sad. It's not going to be shared like, as much, right? Yeah. yeah. And so... Um, and also, the more hard-hitting stuff is going to be considered bad because it's making you think. And thinking is bad. 
these days. Yeah, well, um, more people promote critical theory over critical yeah. thought, and that's, I think, well, a big problem. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and so it, that's, that's a big part of it, is just what are people going to read? They're going to read the story about the bombings um, because that's they're going to care more about that than the dog that was rescued. Um, well, I think I think that that's a that's a uh, unless you have something else to say, I think that that's a good place for us to end on that. Yeah, Just, no, well, before we end, got to be critically thinking about yes. this kind of stuff. But before we end, I do want to get back to Ailey's question because it's, I think it's a very okay. important one. She oh asked, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. How do you think culture affects our media content or vice versa? And we already talked about which uh, media companies are the most un unbiased. Um, I think if you pick, honestly, if you don't, if you want an unbiased opinion, I would. Yeah, you need to balance it out. There's no true. Yeah, read both sides. I would say if you want an unbiased opinion, uh, read something like The Atlantic and then read something like Epoch Times or something like that. Like bounce back between the lean left and the lean right because then you'll at yeah. least get some, some perspective of both sides as well and it won't be too radical. Yeah. yeah. But so yeah, culture. Yeah. So I mean, in the end, like journalism is presenting on our culture. It's presenting what our culture wants to hear it's presenting how our culture wants to hear it, what's going to make it interesting for us. Um, I mean, like, in the end, everything's kind of influenced by our society and by what we want, by the mass public. They're going to appeal to the masses. Um, and so they're going, as a journalist, you're going to pick stories that are interesting to the culture in your area. For example, when I was a journalist in small-town Northwest Iowa, we weren't going to talk about, like, some there's not going to be a story of national news about how some state uh said that abortion is okay up to you know all the way up to pregnancy because it's northwest iowa and it's a very conservative group that would upset a lot of people so they're not going to report on it and so i culture basically informs the media and that's how it works i will so i think this is just my opinion tell me if i'm wrong <laughs> but I think it, if you look at the national stage, um, what culture does inform what the media writes in so much that the loudest group kind of dictates, okay, what journalists look at. Okay, the loudest well, and most intransigent yes, will dictate. Yes, yeah. they, they, they put a spotlight on some cultural issue or political issue. And then so the media goes, hey, everyone's making a big deal out of this. I'm going to write about this because that's going to get us the most traffic so then they write about that then they throw their bias into it which then informs the culture of the people who are reading about it who otherwise would not have known about it so yeah. bad thing it's teaching yeah. other people about our culture that's why we share movies with different cultures because we're learning about the other cultures and that's why i mean that's how basically the different places got colonized as we started sharing culture with each other and that's why we have cars around the united states and not just america or something you know so it's same thing with media yeah and uh it does it can get dangerous though if you have um you know it's something that's thrown around all the time is that you know two percent of the population or what is it like ten percent of the population is on twitter and two percent of that are responsible for the vast majority of the tweets so if, if I'm a journalist and I go to Twitter to see, okay, what are people talking about now that I should may want to cover? Well, yeah. you may get some radical viewpoint on some rather unimportant topic, spend a bunch of time uh, writing about it and putting it out there. Now something that was important to 0.1% of the population is known 
by 90% of the population. Yeah. And it, it, it's a way that if it's harnessed, if people intentionally harness that, they can completely change the culture and the ideology around, um, you know, around the culture and around different political topics and can lead to some good things and some bad things, you know, depending on your point of view and who's, you know, manipulating that weapon. Um, so that's, that's, that's my thought. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's wrap, let's wrap this up. I think we're about 17 minutes over, but that's okay. Uh, I, I always love going over all of these conversations. Yeah. My videos are always long, I guess. They are. Yeah. Just, um, just talk, 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 talk. That's all she ever does. So anyway, anyway, thank you guys. Right. Yes. Thank you guys for watching tonight. It was a lot of fun. Loved your questions. Thank you for coming on, Jess. Always appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you. we'll be back Friday night at 7 p.m. We're going to continue this theme of media. We're going to, although we're going to kind of zero in on local media. Um, I'm not going to announce any guests yet because I've got open invitations to a couple of people. I'm trying to, um, see if they're interested. Um, but yeah, so go ahead. And if you like this, um, subscribe and especially share these videos because, you know, we don't really have a marketing budget. It's, huge if you can share these videos i would yeah. really appreciate it if you like our content of course and uh follow us on minds gab and come hang out with us whenever we play games on twitch so <laughs> thank you guys and have a great night